All right. Uh, my name is Pastor Garrett. I wanted to start us off here with just something a little personal. A couple of years back, a friend of mine came to me and wanted to go over a tough breakup that he was having. And his girlfriend broke up with him. And the reason she said was, I don't love you anymore. And as we were sifting through the debris of what led to this, what led to this breakup, and as we were lamenting and discussing with one another, he couldn't help but shake this feeling of betrayal. He was so distraught and confused about how his partner could confess her love for him for months and months and then really, to him, suddenly change her mind. And I asked him to take me through the exchange, like what was said during the breakup, what specifically? And what we came to find out was that his, his ex-partner found out a character trait or like a flaw where she concluded that she could not continue to love him anymore. And my friend, my buddy was left wondering, well, did she ever truly love me then, right? If, if there wasn't any follow through, did she ever truly love me for me? When breakups like this happen, I don't believe that the love was necessarily a lie. I, I, I believe that there's love to a degree, however big or small. However, his ex-girlfriend loved him up until a point. She had a certain level of knowledge about my friend where she felt she could love him, but then she gained new knowledge about him and quote-unquote fell out of love. Have we ever felt that God will fall out of love with us? At some point, maybe there's a sin that we've committed, a mistake, something that we thought we would never commit. Maybe there's something new that God would find out and make him repulsed. Thankfully, that's not what Scripture says at all. God's Word says that God has an eternal, steadfast love that is unlike the conditional love that we have. He knows you. He knows all of you. He knows all the sins you have committed, will commit, and knows the darkest corners of your heart better than you know them yourself. And He knew it all before the foundation of the world, all before time began. Yet He still formed you and chose you in Him. And I, I want to immerse ourselves further in this reality. If you could open up with me to Psalm 139. We'll start with the first six verses. We could spend weeks and weeks just on this one chapter. I think it's one of the best psalms, one of the most quotable. Um, but I, I just want to dive into specific verses and highlight one thing, and it's God's omniscience, God's all-knowingness. God knows everything and nothing is hidden from Him. So we'll start at verse 1, Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I'm going to go back to verse 1, and we'll go line by line here. 
and just see what God has for us. Point one, God is omniscient, all-knowing. There's a curious word here in the first verse. It, it, it says, oh Lord, you have searched me. And it's like, okay, you, you've started out by saying that God knows everything and nothing is hidden from him. But doesn't the word search imply that something is hidden from him that has not yet been found? I think the, the word search here doesn't imply that God has information to a filing cabinet. But I believe that this conveys an image of God, say, looking through a filing cabinet. He knows all the information that is in the filing cabinet, but he pulls out specific files to examine, or for even us to examine. I also like to think of a, a search light. All the information is known by God, but God is illuminating specific areas inside of our hearts that he already knows. And then the latter half of verse 1, it says, you have searched me and known me. Well, what and how much does he know about us? Let's keep reading. Verses 2 and 3 say, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. God is aware of everything we do, everything we think. He knows when we rest, when we move. He discerns our thoughts from heaven. He knows where we plan to go in our path. He's acquainted with every single aspect of our lives. As Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Move on to verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. When I read this verse, I can't help but think of when we confess our sins. He already knows what we're going to confess, what we're going to say before him. And it actually makes me think of the account where Jesus is talking to the woman at Samaria. When Jesus met the woman at the well, Jesus asked for the woman to call her husband. And the woman confessed, I don't have a husband. And do you remember how Jesus responded? He, he says, you are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. And the, something peculiar comes up when you read this passage. Why does Jesus feel the need to specify the amount of how many is he just trying to rub salt in the wound from this obvious pain of this woman having had five divorces? Absolutely. I don't, I don't think that he needed to rub salt in the wound or anything. In this account, Jesus is displaying his omniscience to this woman by revealing to her that he knows her past and to establish her that he is the all-knowing Son of God and Messiah. He knows her past fully and does not condemn her. Instead, he assures her to worship in spirit and in truth. Do we ever feel the need or the temptation to craft our confessions so that they sound watered down? We're afraid that if we reveal everything, that we might get rejected or judged by others. Are we the same way when we're with God? In verse 4, the psalmist states that even before we speak or confess, the Lord knows it all together. He knows all the details that you don't want to reveal. 
just like the woman at the well, sin won't be revealed to condemn you, but to signify to you that he knows it all already and that he still receives you. For as verse 5 says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You, Christian, are surrounded by the love of God and his blessing. This passage denotes how God encompasses us with his presence and providence. Nothing escapes his knowledge. And if you find yourself overwhelmed with God's knowledge of the world and of you, take heart as his hand is laid upon you, for he is in, behind, and before you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, as it is written. And we'll move on to verse 6. Verse 6 shows the psalmist's reaction to this revelation of God's omniscience. David expresses, Saul, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. I cannot attain it. Point one is God is omniscient. Point two, we are not. There's a similar character in Scripture that has the same conclusion that the psalmist comes to, and his name was Job. Job, who was the richest man of his day, lost his family, his, his livestock, his wealth and health, and, and questions God, why, why is this happening to me? And God responds to Job like this in Job chapter 38. You don't have to turn there with me. It'll be on the screen. He says, and God answered Job out of a whirlwind, whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to me. And the Lord goes on to question Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? There's another excerpt here in, in Job 38 that makes me laugh. Have, have you entered into the springs of the sea or have walked in the recesses of the deep? The entire human race has explored the ocean's surface for a total of 5%. And the rest of it, the depths especially, is still unknown, very deeply unknown. But God knows every square inch of the surface and every species and creature that lies within the depths of the ocean. The Lord goes on to say, Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Let me read another one. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak soft words to you? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? A, a leviathan was a, a, a big, scary, horrifying sea monster in antiquity where we would stand in dread and be devoured. But the Lord can subdue it and make it sing. The Lord's response goes on like this for three chapters, and, and Job just has to respond. He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And God's response, I, I know we can 
be tempted to think that it's cruel or, or vindictive, but God is, just, is showing Job the stark reality that Job is presumptuous in his questioning the goodness and the knowledge of God. And is God just pointing out random things for Job to stump him? I, I believe it's a deeper purpose. What, what God is doing, he's Job, or God is taking Job on a tour of the sheer expanse, functionality, variety, and vastness of creation that God knows every square inch of completely, while at the same time upholding it all with the power of His Word. And if we were to contend God's knowledge with the entire knowledge of the human race that has barely even scratched the surface, our knowledge just pales in comparison. How can we question God with such insufficient knowledge? As Socrates famously quoted, the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing. And don't get this wrong, God was not chastising Job for knowing very little. Being finite in knowledge is not a sin, it's how we were built. But us who know very little, thinking that we know better than God who knows everything, that's a sin. We're not built to be omniscient, we have limits, and it's beautiful. It's, it's actually wonderful that we have limits, and that may sound strange, but the fact that we're not all-knowing and have a lack in comprehension causes us to marvel at the infinite knowledge of God. Just as the psalmist does, if you'll pan down with me through verses 17 and 18, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. Or marvel at this verse in Ecclesiastes 11.5, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We can't even grasp the knowledge of Spirit joining with flesh. Yet we question the God who makes everything. And let us not be dismayed or discouraged by what we don't know, but let us not be arrogant to say that we know any better. And there is so much pressure these days to know everything. We, we live in the digital age where we can find any answer. You know, listen to these audiobooks. Watch this TV show and decipher its meaning and symbolism. You know, keep up to date on politics and how crazy the left and the right are getting. And do you even know what's going on with Israel and Palestine? I never do. Every time I'm asked, I'm like, I truly don't. I have no idea. And it's such a burden to try and know and be aware of everything all at once, but, but we're not built for that. We were meant to marvel at the one who knows it all. And if he knows it all, he is for you, so you can breathe. It's okay. If we move on to verses 13 through 16 in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Point three is, if God knows everything, He knows everything about you. And let's start with verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows you inside and out because He's formed you inside and out. And notice the word knitting. I I think knitting is such a precise and careful word. It makes me think of my grandma. (laughs) Knitting takes time. I've never met a person who's knitting who hates knitting. (laughs) Knitting a scarf in a chair by the fire is their happy place. It's such a careful process of uniting and interlocking loops and threading together even something as simple as a scarf. How much more has God the Father knitted us to make us in His image? Moving on to verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. One sincere study of the human body confirms the wisdom and knowledge of God. Theologian John Gill says, the staunchest atheist with any carefulness can see that the structure and texture of the human body, the exact symmetry and just proportion of all its parts, their position and usefulness. Every bone, muscle, artery, nerve, and fiber are nicely framed and placed to answer their designed end. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are amazed at the wonder of our bodies, but also fearful because we have yet to conceive the full knowledge of how our body functions. Does anyone have an update on what the appendix does yet? Someone came up to me after the first service, well, actually, and he was like theorizing. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. We can theorize, but only God truly knows at this point. Um, but notice, notice the last part in verse 14. Uh, notice it says, my soul knows it very well. In church, do our, do our souls know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Do we know it well? Do we sit and meditate and stand under the waterfall of grace knowing that we are His masterpiece? We are His workmanship. We are a wonderful work. We don't need to know everything, but this is one thing that we should know very well. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we'll move on to verse 15. It says, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, I think this calls back to Ecclesiastes 11.5 where it says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. It's almost like it's a secret. What's a secret to us as human beings is not hidden from God. And, And notice these words too, intricately woven. In the depths of the earth. When something is being made in secret, you also want to make it in a secret place. And what an indescribable image of our Lord weaving us into our very being, into existence meticulously and in secret for His glorious purposes. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us to even fathom. And we'll look at at verse 16. 
Your eyes saw me in my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were for me. I think maybe the closest we can come to this in relating to God is maybe like looking at an, your, your kid in an ultrasound. It's interesting, the wording here too. Your eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Why, why does he say that his eyes saw? I think that's a bit redundant, right? If he, if he were to just say, and he saw us, no, but his eyes saw us. I, I, I think that the reader is trying to convey the, the, the emphasis that the love is expressed through the eyes, right? You see it in a mother and father when they're beholding their child. It's like of deep love and wonder. And just the eyes saw you. So before time began, God has formed your days. As it, as, as it is written, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, for when as yet there were none of them. It says that in somewhere else in Scripture, it says, today is the day that the Lord has made. The Lord has crafted this day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Just as the Lord knows the number of hairs on our head, He also knows the number of our days. And they're not, they're not even our days, right? They're days that He has formed for us. They're His days. He knows exactly the amount of days you have. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And according to Psalm 56, He knows exactly the amount of tears you've cried because he holds your tears in a bottle. Let's look at that verse really quickly. It says in uh, Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Are they not in your book? He's recording your tears. And I love that word tossings. He keeps track of how many sleepless nights you've had. Why does he know all this stuff about us? Why does He keep track of the hairs on our head, our tears, our our sleepless nights? I remember coming back from college uh, one time, seeing my mom and dad, and and, uh, I found this cabinet where they had saved all of my subpar K-12 artwork. And in my head, I'm going, Why? It's, they were so bad, like I made my mom an ashtray. I'm like, she doesn't even smoke. <laughs> and, and it's not like they were saving the art pieces to, because they'll be worth something one day. No, they, they, it wasn't an investment, but it's still precious to my parents because they love me. God has meticulously collected something even more intimate, your tears. You know that saying, God only knows X, right? God only knows what happened. God knows what we could have done differently. God only knows how many tears I've cried. He actually does. That's not a saying. It's true. Only God knows. And lastly, I want to draw our attention to Ephesians chapter 1. So if if you'll actually turn there with me, we'll spend a good amount of time there. This passage is so rich in doxology and theology in Ephesians 1. I'll start reading here. Starting at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you 
and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. And these are the two words I want to focus on, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. They may not, these words may not seem like much on the surface, but they are so pertinent to the all-knowingness and foreknowledge of God. Let's take it the look at the word wisdom. Wisdom is something different. It's, it's defined differently from knowledge. Wisdom means knowledge that is applied, right? Wisdom helps us make our decisions throughout the day. And it's, it's a communicable trait, right? So God imparts that trait to us. One great, amazing gift of uh, wisdom that is provided to all of us is the book of Proverbs. And since wisdom is knowledge that is applied, I would argue that a wise person should gather all the knowledge and information that he or she can to make a best informed decision. Except we're not all-knowing, we're not omniscient like God, so when we make decisions, we will always have limited knowledge to whatever degree. We can make colossal mistakes even if we make one, um, even if we lack one piece of knowledge. But that's not the case with God. God is all-knowing. So He has all the data. He's got all the facts. And God is not only all-knowing, but notice in verse 8, He's all-wise in all wisdom and insight, which means that He makes, decision lacking, he makes decisions lacking no information. And, and the word insight, meaning that He has the deepest intuition and understanding of anything and everything. No piece of information is hidden from him. So he takes all things into consideration. In light of that knowledge, from God's perspective, all things considered, when you look at us, created beings made to reflect the image of God, to be his children, to love him forever as He provides everything to us and to, to walk with Him and know Him through all eternity, through deep and love and interpersonal relationship. When you look at us who instead, God knowing in all wisdom and insight that we would reject Him, God knowing that we would turn away from Him, God knowing that we would prefer sin over Him, God knowing that we would declare Him as an enemy, God knowing that we would curse His holy name, God knowing that He would have to send His Son to save us from our sin, and God knowing that we would not receive His Son but condemn Him, God knowing that we would not only condemn Him but crucify Him. So in light of all that foreknowledge, what does God decide to do in all insight and wisdom? Look at verses 7 and 8 according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. All of that foreknowledge, He has lavished grace upon us. 
praise God. Point four, knowing all, he still gives grace. Picture a job interview, and the, the interviewer asks the interviewee, where do you see yourself in five years? And the, and the interviewee responds, well, I, I plan the first three months of doing all my work incorrectly, um, have a mental breakdown, drink on the job, and uh, tell all my coworkers that my boss is the worst. Do you think that that interviewer, having all of that foreknowledge, would hire the applicant? I don't think they would, but, but God is so different from us, right? He's so different, and His ways are so much higher than ours. Knowing our brokenness, He has chosen to lavish the riches of His grace. And what lavishment specifically, like what grace is He referring to? It's in the text we just wrote, and uh, just a, a, a few things that I picked up reading this will be up on the screen here. What did God in all wisdom and insight decide to do with us considering our brokenness and rebellion? He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He has made us holy and blameless. He has adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through His blood. He has forgiven our trespasses. Praise God. And what is God's ultimately wise end goal? Let's end with Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. It reads, Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So according to the riches of His grace, in all glorious wisdom and insight, the end goal is to unite all things in Him, and this includes you. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And, and before we close here, I just want to end with a, a parting note. Uh, there's, there's an enemy, right? It's, it's Satan. He's the accuser. Satan is not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't have all the facts on you. He hasn't formed you. And he condemns you. The Father knew you before the beginning of time. He knew all the sins you would commit, are committing, before the foundation of the world. And instead, He does not decide to condemn you, but instead, He has adopted you into the family of God and lavishes grace. Let's pray.